Our gospel lesson this morning comes from Mark chapter 9. It's found on page 820 in your pew Bible if you would like to follow along. If you'd prefer just to listen, I invite you to open your hearts and minds as we hear again from the gospel of Mark, the word of the Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter did not know what to say, for they were all terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You know what really gets under my skin? When my husband Thomas uses these big words that I don't know and then just keeps going, imagining that I'm going to figure out what he's talking about using the context clues. I see you shaking your head over there, John Daly. You know what I'm talking about. A perfect example of this was when he was working on his dissertation for his Ph.D., he would use the word polemic like it was just an everyday, ordinary word. Something that we use in our conversation all the time. And for the life of me, as he talked, I couldn't figure out what it meant. Now, yes, I do have a cell phone. I could have Googled it. In fact, I did multiple times, but for some reason, it never seemed to stick for me. So finally... One day, I stopped him in the middle of a sentence and I said, wait, that word, polemic, you have to explain it to me. When he took the time to pause and help me understand what he was saying, not just what the word meant, but the context in which he was using it, it finally stuck. I now know that a polemic is a type of writing that strongly criticizes or attacks another. As much as this gets under my skin when people use words that I don't understand, I realize that sometimes I do that up here in this pulpit. One word in particular can often seem a little bit churchy. You might be listening to me and think, well, what does that mean? But if I stop and look it up now on Google, I'm going to miss the rest of the sermon. And why couldn't you just tell us what that meant? Lectionary might be one of those words for you. You're thinking lecture what? So 
Really quickly, I'm going to give you a rundown because this is a word I've referenced at least twice during this sermon series. So in the early 1990s, 19 different scholars from a variety of denominations collaborated to put together a three-year rotation of Bible lessons. These lessons were intended to be used for worship. Each Sunday, they selected four texts, a psalm, an Old Testament lesson, a gospel, and a New Testament reading. Each year, one gospel is selected to be read almost entirely over the 52 weeks. Now, if you're a good Bible drill person, sword drill, you're thinking in your head, Trinity, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's four gospels, right? And I said it was a three-year rotation. That leaves one left over. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of have a similar story and flow. So each one of them gets their own year. But the Gospel of John, since it's so different, it's peppered throughout all three years. Then these other scripture selections, the Old Testament, the Psalm, the New Testament reading, they were chosen to try to hopefully enhance the Gospel reading, to go along with a thematic understanding of what was being read that Sunday. Although it doesn't always completely happen that way, For the most part, if you read the text together for a given Sunday, you hear a thread or a theme woven throughout them. And if you're really paying attention attention, as one member did recently, you'll notice that it connects us to the larger global church. You see, a few weeks ago, as I was preaching about Jesus calling the disciples You may remember that our Old Testament lesson was from the book of Jonah. This was because it was recommended as our lectionary text. And so as I was preaching on Mark calling the disciples, I highlighted that Jonah was an example of how God was gracious to us when we don't answer the call the first time. This church member found me during the week and told me that they had been worshiping at their family's church because their grandchild was being christened. And lo and behold, the Catholic priest during Mass that Sunday had preached on Jonah. And when they got in the car to travel back to Tallahassee, they pulled up our Sunday from the morning, and as I preached, I referenced that same scripture from Jonah. This is the beauty of the lectionary. Those pre-selected Bible passages for us in worship allow us to connect to the larger church community. This week, our lectionary definitely found that theme, that thread. Did y'all hear it? Betsy read from 2 Kings about Elijah. And as I read the Gospel of Mark, who did we see with Jesus on the mountain? Elijah and Moses. The author of Mark is making an intentional connection to Moses and Elijah and is trying to give us a framework for who Jesus is because for so many it's still a mystery. Elijah was a prophet who suffered because of his faithfulness to God. Jesus 
is preparing to take on unimaginable suffering as he heads towards the cross. Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind, and in his presence here we see the foreshadowing for Christ to be taken up after his resurrection, ascending into heaven. And I hope you didn't miss the similarities of light at play. As God is taking Elijah up, what ran between him and Elisha? A chariot of fire. And while we didn't read it this morning, it's part of the lectionary for year A when we read the Gospel of Matthew, Moses goes up the mountain himself, and when he comes down from meeting God, his face is glowing. When Jesus is up on the mountain, something happens to him, causing his clothes to be dazzling bright. Just as God was at work with Elijah and Moses, God is at work here in this moment with Jesus. The light of God is shining. Throughout this sermon series on the mystery of Christ, I've emphasized for you the speed at which Mark has Jesus traveling. Jesus is on the move. Jesus is on a mission. There is urgency. And I've mentioned to you multiple times that that happens for the first eight chapters of the Gospel of Mark. It was a sprint and it has led us to this moment, to this mountaintop. You may have heard folks use that phrase before, a mountaintop experience. While it can really be a physical aspect of a being up on a mountain, often when people talk about a mountaintop experience, they're actually speaking about a spiritual or emotional encounter. When Jesus goes up on the mountain, he's doing it so he has a chance to prepare himself for what is to come. This scene becomes both a literal and a figurative climax in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus rushes to this moment and ascends to the top of the mountain. And then as we continue through the rest of the Gospel, we're on a downward trajectory that leads us to the cross. This mountaintop allows Jesus to connect with God so that he can endure the suffering that is to come. This mountaintop, this moment of connection is often referred to as the transfiguration. In fact, if you look at the front page of your bulletin in the top right-hand corner, we call this Sunday Transfiguration Sunday. And it seems logical, right, if we look back at the gospel lesson I just read. Verse 2 says that Christ was transfigured before them. Other translations read he was transformed in front of them. Or one even says his appearance changed from the inside out. The mountaintop experience changes Christ. But Jesus isn't the only person on top of the mountain that morning. He brought three of his disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. And as they begin to recognize that something has changed, 
they hear a voice, a voice that exposes Christ for who he already knows himself to be. When we began this series six weeks ago on this journey to learn more about the mystery of Jesus, you'll remember that we started at Christ's baptism. In that moment, we got to listen in as Jesus heard God say, You are my beloved, my son, in whom I am well pleased. And in this mountaintop moment, the language changes because God is no longer directing his words to Jesus, but to those who are around him. This is my beloved. If Peter, James, and John had any question, if they weren't exactly sure of Christ's identity, the mountaintop is the moment where Christ is exposed as the Son of God, the one to whom they should listen. During Vacation Bible School each year, our church provides what we call extended care. For elementary participants whose parents need to work full day, parents can choose to opt in to afternoon care that allows for a whole day of child care. You may not know this, but from 2012 to 2015, I served in the role that Miss Vicki serves in. I was our church's Christian educator. And I let somebody else run extended care, except for on Wednesdays. Because you see, on Wednesdays, the children got to take a field trip. And I would load the church bus up, and we would drive one block down the road to the AMC movie theater for the movie day. And I always loved it because we got to watch whatever the newest animated release was that season. Back in 2015, I took them to see Inside Out. If you've never seen the movie before, it's a story about an 11-year-old girl's emotions. There are five character emotions in the story. Joy, sadness, fear, disgust, and anger. Now, Joy is the ringleader of the group. She helps guide the emotions as Riley travels throughout her day, creating little memories in the moments that happen. However, Joy teaches us that some memories have a more significant impact on Riley's life. Joy describes them like this. The really important ones, they're stored here. I don't want to get too technical, but these are called core memories. Each one came from a super important moment in Riley's life. Like when she first scored a goal. That was so amazing. And each core memory powers a different aspect of Riley's personality. I love the way of thinking about formative and transformational experiences in our lives as core memories. Some experiences mark us indelibly. They change us in profound ways, and try as we may, we will never be the same. When Jesus is transfigured, shining God's light on Peter, James, and John, they hear God's voice, and it's like a new core memory is formed. 
they too are transformed. They can no longer leave the mountaintop the same way they came. As the ones who witnessed these things, they are the first ones to get a chance to be a witness to others about who Christ is. And I love how Peter reacts because it reminds me that there's hope for me yet. You see, Peter is so shaken by the encounter that he blurts out the first thing he can think of. Oh, why don't we build some shrines up here so that we can just stay here and worship? He wanted to stay on the mountaintop in this transformative moment. I imagine if you've ever had one of those spiritual mountaintop experiences, that might resonate with you too. You see, having heard the voice of God, it seems to me that Peter still doesn't fully get it. He doesn't quite understand. And yet, it doesn't stop him from trying and trying again. Okay, I got it, I can imagine him saying to himself. No shrines, so let's go spread the word. God is among us. We need to tell somebody. I hope that we can be that bold. I believe in my heart that Jesus is the Son of God. And yet, I still find so much mystery when I think about Christ. That didn't seem to stop Peter. And I hope it doesn't stop me. Exposed to the light of Christ, knowing that God came to live among us, may we bear witness to God's presence with everyone we encounter. May we bear witness to the ways that God is at work in our families, in our workplace, in our world around us, even when we don't fully understand the mystery. When we see God's light shining, may we come back down the mountain, journey into the valley around us, and share the good news. This is the Son of God. To the glory of God. Amen.